0: God bless you. Praise the Lord this morning. What an opportunity it is to come together and to worship an almighty God. What a thing it is to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Um, we were having a conversation this morning. You can be seated. I was, probably will blab for a moment. Um, we uh, were having a conversation this morning and talking about people turning down horrendous sons of money. Like... I forget the number, it was $800 million or something, Tiger Woods turned down, and and I was contemplating that, I don't know any of those people in my life, I don't have anybody that's offering me $800 million to do anything, probably because they've seen me play golf, and yeah. um, that was a real quick yeah there, Pastor, yeah. Seen uh, Pastor, seen me play golf, it wasn't pretty, I uh, nobody's offered me any money, they may pay me to quit if they have to play all day with me, but uh, I'm thankful that I know a God that's way bigger than 800 million dollars. I know a God that's way more important than anybody else on this on this earth. And I go through life knowing him. Know somebody that's big or special or important. We tend to say, hey, I, my buddy so-and-so, you know. I, I'm thankful that I can tell people about my friend Jesus. It's not my topic. That's just your freebie this morning, but... I am thankful this morning, it's been kind of on my heart, in prayer this morning. I'm thankful to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, the First, the Last. I am thankful that He is my Jesus. I'm going to get into the Word for a few moments, and I'm going to start out in the book of Exodus, the 14th chapter. I'm going to start with verse 21. Uh, I'll read a couple verses while we're standing, and then we'll be seated, because I'm going to work my way through the next 10 or 11 verses. But it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and their left, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. You may be seated this morning. We, We... jump into the story here with Moses and the children of Israel and it looks like they're in a bit of a rough spot. They're running from the Egyptian army and they get to the Red Sea and I haven't been to a whole lot of seas in my life. Um, I'm more of a lake guy. It's probably because I was raised in Piedmont and people don't have shoes, much less like a way to get to the ocean. Um, As much as my children think they're not, we are as hillbilly redneck as people pretty well get, and uh, so I've, I've been in the ocean three or four times in my life, but not a lot, and I'm not really all that crazy about it, I like a place that I can get on my boat, and no matter which direction I point it, I, I can see land, and then if my boat breaks, I've been here, done this, I, I'm close enough, I can tie a rope around myself and swim and get my boat to said land, And I can tell you from experience, an hour and a half is about all the swimming, pulling a boat that I have in me. And that was much more fit than I am now. I don't, I'm not a huge ocean guy, but I like lakes. And I can't even imagine, I don't know if you've been to maybe Wapapello Lake or or Clearwater Lake or I guess any lake, or if you've been to the ocean, you get to that water, I can't imagine saying, okay, I got to get across this. They didn't have a boat. They didn't have a barge. They didn't have, uh. Maybe in Florida you get those big long roads that are up over the water. They didn't have any of those. They didn't have any way to get across it, but Moses, it says, he stretches out his rod and the water parts. It says they begin to cross on dry ground. As they're crossing, all of a sudden God's doing this huge thing, but we get to verse 23 here. The Egyptians are still chasing them. There's, in the midst of this miracle, the, the army's still after him, even to the midst of the sea. Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and I wonder watching that... Got a group of slaves running from the biggest, most powerful army the world had seen up to this point. Even in the midst of the miracle, it seemed like things weren't looking all that pretty. I, I, I'm not a. We'll get back to that in a minute. I'm not a patient person. I I like things to happen how I want them, when I want them. And if I think, hey, it's time to do this, I think, okay, this needs to happen right now. Um, in anything I do, I. I just, once the idea appears in my mind, I feel like it ought to be done. Now, I understand life doesn't work that way, but that doesn't really help how I feel once the idea pops into my head. My wife has grown to appreciate that over the years because if the idea that pops into my head is, hey, let's invite 30 people over for a barbecue, that means I pick up my phone and start calling people and say, hey, come over to the house in 30 minutes and we're going to have a barbecue. And it's my wife that then has to figure out the logistics of making all that happen in the time span, and she's become pretty good at it. Um, of course, she's been at it for 15 years, and my mom's really happy that I don't live at home anymore because that used to be what happened at home, and my mom's the type of person, we had four people in our family, so if she was cooking for dinner, there were four hamburgers and, like, four chips and four beans. Um, <laughs> So Amber and I were dating, and she'd come over for dinner, and I'd have to give her half of my hamburger and half of my chip and half of my bean. So my mom didn't really appreciate when I would invite 20 people over, and I think for the first 10 years of our marriage, my wife probably didn't appreciate it. I think she's come to like having a full house. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, let's have a bunch of people over. This will be great, and I don't think about all the things that have to happen to make that work. I just think this will be a good time. So, you know, rather than thinking, let's plan this for a week from Thursday, I'm like, hey, everybody come to my house right now. And then if I remember, sometimes like I forget to then tell my wife that I've invited people. So they're like walking in the door and I'm like, hey, babe, by the way. Um, But I have gotten good enough where now I usually will. The first text I send out is to to Amber, but I'm not a patient person. I'm ready. Like, we're going to have a party. Let's do this right now. And, um. I tend to think everything should work that way. If I have something clicking in my head, I think, I think it comes from being raised with a microwave. Like, you want food, you cook it, you have it. may not be all that great, but it's there. Uh, you want anything in today's society, it's pretty well there. I can just about go buy anything I need pretty quickly. I had a conversation with somebody uh, yesterday evening that was... Surprised that there was something I couldn't get in Kennet at seven o'clock yesterday evening because the hardware stores closed. Said, well, you, know, you can't just go grab them? I'm like, not without driving somewhere. I said, in this town's, you know, like three times the size of where I came from. But they, they were surprised that I couldn't have it instantaneously. That's our society. That's what we believe is things should just appear when we're ready for them. And I wonder as the children of Israel, as we jump back into their story. If they weren't getting a little worried about God's timing as they're running in, in my mind when God creates the miracle and the water splits. They're looking at the miracle and saying, okay, God, you did this. It's great. We're walking across on dry land, just a truck. And in. in my mind, at that point, we should be able to forget about the army. That shouldn't be a thing anymore. God should have already taken care of them because God, why are you making us still stress about this? You're doing this miracle here. And they're walking across on dry land, but then they look back and they see this whole army chasing them on the same miracle that they're running on. They don't understand. They don't know the timing. And we're going to read on or at least paraphrase on. It says, it came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians. He sees them all coming. It says, he troubled the host. He took off their chariot wheels. Uh, They begin to flee. And as they flee, the Lord says to Moses, stretch your hand over And the water, as Moses stretches hand over, reappears. And gone are the Egyptians. Gone are the chariots. Gone are the horses. Gone is the greatest army the world had ever seen, taken out by God. In the eyes of those watching, it was one man holding his arm out over the water. But it was only at that point, we're talking 11 real stressful verses for the children of Israel. But we get to verse 31, or verse 30, let's say, it says, the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. They saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. It's really easy for me today to go read that and say, see, it all worked out just fine. God knew what he was doing. God was saving you, and he was in the same stroke, taking out the Egyptians, and He was in the midst of all that, making sure that all the people believed and respected and knew who he was and what he was capable of. and All this happened with the parting and the putting back of the water. Real easy for me to read that, but put yourself for a moment in the steps of the Egyptians, or of the Israelites, excuse me. Put yourself for a moment in the place, in the time where you're running and you're worried you're getting ready to get murdered because you just stole the silverware from that guy and you took it, and in the midst of you stealing the silverware, his oldest kid died, and he's had plagues for the last couple of months, and his life's been pretty horrible, and he knows it's all your fault, and he's coming to take it out on you. And he's got a chariot, and you're walking. He's got a horse pulling him and a sword and a spear. You're walking, killing all his, or carrying all his silverware and candlesticks you done got from his house, trying to get it all, get through there, and he's saying, come on, let me kill you with a horse pulling him. Not a real pretty place to be. But in the midst of that, they're watching and they're seeing all this going on. And I I can imagine some Israelites saying, God, what you doing here? God, what's going on here? I thought you were, I saw the water part, God, and I thought you had saved us. And now I'm turning around and in the midst of what I thought was a miracle, you just made a way for them to catch up to us. They couldn't see the whole picture. They couldn't understand that we serve as the screen behind me says an on-time God. Unfortunately, when I look back over my life, I've got a whole bunch of instances where my timing and God's timing weren't always the same. I look at things in my life, and I'm like, okay, God, I I'm getting better as I get older, and saying, okay, God, it's your will, your way, you have, and I'll just be. And I, but I can remember I was flipping through a notebook. Uh, the other day, one of my old sermon notebooks, and I found where I had had written some thoughts, um, I don't know, 15, eh, 12 years ago or so, in the front of that notebook, and I, I was reading through that, and i it's kind of comical to go read where I planned out how my life was going to go, because it didn't go that way. I knew exactly, I, mean, I, I was 100% sure exactly of what God was going to do and how he was going to do it. And, the order things were going to happen and none of those things came to be nothing worked out the way i thought it would my god he works differently than than i do i'm not a a deep critical thinker i i like to take whatever problems in front of me and i'm going to face it head on and when it's solved we'll look at the one in front of us and I, i'm like a checkers player and god's playing chess and i'm not even a good checkers player i'm just i just want to jump the one little guy and God's like 47 moves ahead in a chess game. His timing is looking at how all this is going to play out and all this is going to work out. And I I don't see that timing in my walk with God and my life and my looking down the road. All I see is tomorrow. And I'm like, God, you're going to do this, 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 this. It's all going to work out this way. And then when one thing doesn't go how I expected, then I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? What are you doing here? Nothing's working out. God's up there saying, well, if you had paid attention, or if you would just let me be me, you would know that I have this happening so that this can happen, so that this can happen. He says, Israelites, if you just knew that I also needed to take out the army and I also needed to make you all trust me, you would understand why the water was parted and dry. You you would understand why you're crossing and they're coming in if you understood that it was so that when you got out, they could be covered up. All these things God was working out in the Israelites, I wonder if they weren't looking and saying, God, here you've done a miracle just to let them kill us in the middle of the Red Sea. That way the water would come back and cover up the evidence. God's timing is not always our timing, but he works in his way and it is always a better way than what I have planned out. You see, I also look back over my plans that I thought I had and I, I realized that God's plans were a lot better than what I had planned. The way God works things out works out a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better than the way I had them planned out to start with. We go on to the book of Acts. We're going to move forward to a few years. Uh, the third chapter, I'm going to read, verse. start at verse 1, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase, read through verse 10 or so. Uh, it says, Peter and John went to the temple, being the, the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, there's a lame man there, uh, been lame from his mother's womb his whole life. He'd been lame and laid there at the at the gate called beautiful. He's asking alms of those that enter the temple. As a lame man, he couldn't go inside, but he could sit out front and say alms, alms, somebody. That was how he made it through life. That was people giving him as he asked for, for donations. That was his sustenance. He couldn't go work a job. He couldn't walk. But he's sitting there. He's been there his whole life. He sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he says, alms, alms, he asking them for something and says he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them he's expecting them to throw take a couple coins out of their pocket and throw in his cup that's what he what he thought was going to happen peter answers says silver and gold have i none i wonder if he like talked really fast or in my mind anyway and i like to play these things out in my head i can see peter there silver and gold have i none and then like a dramatic pause Wait till the guy just about like puts his head down, like uh, never mind. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. That's just my mind playing it out. Probably didn't. I feel like Peter probably wasn't like playing a sick joke on the on the lame guy at the at the gate. But uh, silver and gold have I don't have any money. I don't have what you're asking for. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. It says he took him by the right hand. He lifted him up. His Immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength and leaping up, stood and walked, entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. It says, all the people saw it and they knew it was the guy that sat out there by the gate. They were filled with wonder and amazement at that which happened to him. This is a a wonderful story, but I wonder if the guy ever thought, hey, Peter, John, how many times did I watch you walk past me how many times have I asked you for a quarter and maybe you threw one at me or kind of avoided my gaze and walked on in? The Jesus guy that you're using his name, how many times did he walk past me while I was sitting here at this gate, lame? He'd been there all his life. Everybody knew who he was, so they had to have seen him. It says they all knew it was he that sat at the gate. He was probably known as the lame guy by the gate. And so we we look at it and we realize we understand that Jesus has time and time again, Peter, John, the rest of the disciples have time and time again walked in. It says they went in because it was the hour of prayer. That makes it sound like that was their customary thing to do. So, okay, it's the ninth hour. we got to go pray. Hey, on my way, I'm going to throw some quarters in this guy's cup. I'm going to go on in. That was the way of going about things probably for most. I wonder if it's not worded that he... Got, he took heed of them because he expected to receive something that makes it feel a little bit like, and I'm taking a little liberty here, but maybe they he had expected to receive something because they had thrown something in his cup before. And I wonder if there's not a moment that he's looking back and saying, hey, you couldn't have done this like three years ago. You've been walking past with Jesus for the past three years, four years, you couldn't have healed my legs three years ago, Jesus? Imagine all the things I've missed out of. Three years worth of walking. And we wonder sometimes, if we only were to pause the story there, if that 10-verse snapshot is all we look at, we wonder, why couldn't he have been healed three years ago? Why couldn't the first time... I, Jesus was in the temple when he was 12. That man had been there all his life. I wonder... If when Jesus was twelve, maybe, you know, you're, you're talking 18, twenty-one years ago, Jesus probably walked past the man, and as he asked Mary and Joseph, alms, alms, alms. Why, Jesus, you you've been who you were since you were twelve. Like, why, why couldn't my legs have been healed twenty-one years ago? But we jump to chapter four in the fourth verse. And we begin to understand the timing and why it works out that way. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. So you got 5,000 men, probably most of those married, some kids in there with that. You're adding, Pastor, imagine that we tomorrow have, let's say a 12,000, 14,000 soul revival. That's our whole town. It says the number of the men. So I'm assuming that with that, there's wives, there's children. So... In that number, that's probably about the amount of people we have in Kennet suddenly just showing up, hey, revival. Because of one man's healing as he's walking into the gate. Now it's real easy for me to look and say, man, he had to sit there all those years. But when I realized that he sat there those years so that all these people could be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, all these people could be met in this huge revival, I can understand God's timing. His timing is the right timing, and it worked out, but in the guy's mind for all those years, he's just saying, I wish I could walk. We don't always understand why things work out the way we do. I don't always understand why God does the things he does. I don't always understand why some people receive a healing and some don't. I I struggled when my grandmother passed, uh, if I'm being honest, for a little while. I still don't have the reason to come to know that God knows, but my grandmother died of cancer, but it was her fourth bout. And she had been miraculously healed the first three times. Like stage four, you don't have any time left, and then, oh, it's all gone, you're fine. Three times. I, I don't understand why the fourth time. You can't tell me God can't do it. I watched it happen. If I were to look back a hundred years from now or look back from heaven, I can probably, probably will be able to see, okay, God, you kept her here the first three times because she still had to do this, this, and this for you. Probably I could understand that, God, these souls only made it because of what you did. But I can tell you that when my grandmother passed, I struggled because I'm saying, God, why in the world? Why in the world didn't you heal again? You could do it. You did it three times. Why not the fourth? I still don't have the answer as to why, but I, I have come to understand that God does things and work things out. And, and life just happens. I don't, I don't want to say that God does everything that happens. I don't think God caused her to get the cancer. I just think that three times he healed her. I'm not going to say that everything happens at... Life just happens sometimes, that's part of it, but sometimes God saves us from it and sometimes we go through it. This guy that sat at the gate had to sit there for a lot of years of his life. Before a healing, life happened to him, God healed. And that healing was miraculous and wonderful, but the timing of it was God reaching to a certain point to touch a certain amount of people. And then we get to the second chapter of Acts. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a rushing mighty wind, uh, or sounded from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. It says, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And verse 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and begun to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They'd been sitting there for a few days in that upper room. Those weeks that we have between Easter and Pentecost, some 49 days or so, if my math off the top of my head's correct, they have been sitting there for a little while. Since they were all in one accord in one place, they'd been there waiting. I think God's timing there was important in that it fit with the feast days he is semblance of things that had happened all the way back to Passover all the way back to things God shadowed years and years and years before i think the timing was important but for for whatever reason this was the time that he chose but he chose this time carefully because as he chooses this time as they're filled with the holy ghost it very quickly spills out it's not just 120 people in a room but it spills out of the room into the streets and people see it and ask what's going on and then that revival spills out because there's a whole bunch of extra people around that wouldn't normally be there. All those extra people are from all over because they've all come in for the feast and because of that, as they begin to speak in other tongues, people are hearing them and say, wait a minute, I know where he's from, how does he speak where I'm from? I know that guy hasn't been there, How's he speaking that language? And all of a sudden tongues become something that's Known and understood to be God speaking through people in languages they do not know. It's being interpreted by people from other places. That couldn't have happened if God's timing hadn't worked out the way it did. We can go throughout Scripture and find time and time again things that that work out. uh, I've mentioned before, my God, He writes big stories. Now that's not a phrase that I coined. I heard that from Brother David Norris years ago, but it stuck in my head. My God, you see, he doesn't just—I I couldn't be an author. I couldn't write uh, novels because I want to start and finish. Let's get this done with. I, my my book would be like a drag race. Like it started, and the end—it's over with. Here's where they started. Here's where they ended up. It's all over. God, he writes big stories, and as he as he writes those stories on the pages of our lives, we we start out here and we go here and we go here and we go here. It's all over the place, and it all works out. But if I were to look at that, I don't see it that way, because as I said earlier, I don't really have a lot of patience. And I'm in the midst of the problem. I'm in the midst of the situation. I'm feeling like the lame guy at the gate, beautiful. And I'm saying, God, can't you just heal the ankle already? I'm ready to run. Imagine, now he doesn't know. It hasn't happened yet. But imagine... I can put myself in that place that I can say, okay, I know God's able to take care of this. For me, maybe even a little, in my mind, a little harder than the place that the lame man at the gate, beautiful is all he expects is a quarter in his cup. The only expectation that the lame man had when he went to the gate that day was that somebody would put something in his cup. The only expectation he had when he went to Peter and John is that somebody would put something in his cup. My expectations are sometimes bigger. I, I sit down in a situation, in a problem, and something going on in my life, and I come into that knowing what my God is able to do. And then in the midst of that, I say, God, okay, here's my problem, and I, I tend, if I'm not careful in my mind, to think that God's like a vending machine. And I'm going to walk in and I'm going to give him a little praise and give him a little worship. And then, okay, God, here's my list. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. If you could do that right now, it would be real handy, God. And then, okay, it's done. I know he can do it. He's got it. And it's good for me to be able to give God some things. But I have to understand that once I've given it to him, it is his. And once it's his, how and when he takes care of it is not mine. Because that's where the struggle is for me. That's where the disconnect is for me. It's, okay, God, here are my problems. Is not how I, if I'm careful, tend to give them. If I'm not careful, it's God, here are my problems and here are the solutions. And when I start giving them that way and I start trying to tie God's hands, one of two things happens. One, God gives me what I asked for, thereby limiting his solution to exactly what I asked for. If that had happened to the lame man at the gate, his solution would have been a couple quarters in his cup. He would have spent the rest of his life, if he only got what he asked for, he would have spent the rest of his life sitting at the gate asking again. If I tie God's hands, sometimes he'll give me exactly what I asked for and limit it to that. The other thing that happens is I get upset and I don't understand what's going on and I start getting frustrated and God's just sitting back saying, hey, just hold your horses. Have a little patience, because what I'm giving you is a whole lot bigger than what you asked for. What I'm giving you is a whole lot more than what you're wanting. And I'm sitting there, God, come on, God. it's We're almost out of service and the miraculous hadn't happened yet. I'm sitting there, God, I tell you what, my back's a little sore if you could just touch it. and I, I'm just scenario playing here. My back's actually pretty good today, but you know, may I come in and, God, if you could just, if you could take a little pain away today, God, I'm sore. And I, I walk out of the service and my back's still sore. I'm saying, God, I'm still a little sore. And God's saying, well, if you have a little patience, I was going to heal you for good, but instead I'm gonna take a little pain away. I don't know that that's a, an exact scenario, but I'm looking at the situation saying, God, I, I tell you what, I got this bill, I got this bill, I got this bill. If I had $853, God, I'd be good. Where's that at, God? I'm stressing. I, I got to pay these bills on, on Monday, God. And it's Sunday afternoon. The money hadn't showed up yet. What's going on here, Lord? I know you can take care of me. And he's saying, if you'd have a little patience, I'd put twenty grand in your bank account. I'm like, but God, I need $853. We, we go through life and we look at things and we expect things, but our expectation is that which is of this Earth. And our God is a God that is timely, but it is not always in our time. And He is perfect, but it is not always the perfect as we imagined it, because he is not limited to our imagination. I uh, start winding down there. Uh, I think that sometimes in our life, it is, it's really easy for us to look at everything through a, a carnal viewpoint. I don't mean that to say that we're all these horrible carnal people. I am simply mean that to say that we are human, and that our imagination is really limited to that which we have experienced or at least heard about. If I haven't experienced something, it is hard for me to imagine. I know the concept of weightlessness in space, but I don't understand anything without gravity because it's been there all my life. I've never floated. I don't float that good in the water. The older I get, the less I float. I uh I, I don't understand it. I don't know how that works out. I I draw I let go of something, I expect it to hit the floor. It, I try to hold on to things. Usually they hit the floor. I, I really I don't understand how it works when I let go of something It just stays there. I understand that it's possible. Because they say it is, they Seen pictures of space station or whatever, but I don't know how that works because gravity's a thing. There are other things like that. Maybe I understand that uh, if somebody hits me, it's going to hurt because I've been hit before and it, it hurts. I understand that when I stub my toe on the chair, that I'm going to hop around on one foot and ask my wife why the stupid chair is in the house. Like we don't need things to sit on. Why do we have this stupid chair? Why is this chair She's like, babe, we have to sit on something. We have to have chairs. If it were up to me, right after stubbing my toe, there would be no furniture in my home. (laughs) Now, I would be mad when I went to sit down 30 minutes later and there's no chair for me to sit on. But at that moment, I'm really mad that we have furniture. Because I understand that the reason my toe hurts is because there's furniture in my home, not because I run into it. I know how that works, and so my imagination is limited to my experience. I cannot imagine a world in which I can walk through a home full of furniture on a daily basis and never stub my toe, because that's always happened. So in the moment that I stub my toe, what I ask for is not to quit running into things and be cognizant of what's around me. What I ask for is not to have any stupid furniture in the house. I'm ready to just burn the house down and live in the woods, tired of running my toe into stuff. And I take that same instantaneous knee-jerk emotional reaction. Maybe I'm the only one. I may just be teaching to myself this morning. I take that same instantaneous knee-jerk reaction to every situation. I don't look for God to be the chess player that He is. I don't look for Him to be the planner that He is. I look for Him to be reactionary because that's how I live my life. That's how life works. Something happens and we respond. It's how the laws of physics works. For each action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So because we understand that, something happens and we say, okay, God, this happens. I need you to do this and I need you to do it now. And God's got this whole different plan that doesn't work with that, that I don't understand because I have never experienced things working without the laws of physics as they do for God. And so I'm saying, God, why can't you do this, 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 this? Do them now, 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 now. And I've got it all planned out perfect in my calendar. And God's kind of laughing saying, hey, here's what we're actually going to do. We're going to do it this way and in this time. And if you'll just trust me, it'll all be a whole lot better than what you're expecting. It's going to be a whole lot greater than what you're asking for. And and I I wonder as I close this evening, morning, I wonder if we couldn't just somehow learn to trust that God's going to do what He's going to do when He's going to do it and that what He does will be right. It's really easy to say. If you're like me, it's a lot harder sometimes to live. But I do have to know that He's got it all in His hands. And that's in His control and that His timing will be the right timing. And when God doesn't do things when I think He ought to, I don't need to get upset. I simply need to say, God, I must have missed how that was supposed to go, but I can trust that what you have is better because you are better. I can trust what you have is greater because you are greater. I can trust that what you have is bigger because you are bigger. This week, this we go forward, is we're all going to run into life. Life's going to happen. Let's simply trust this week that God's got it. Take whatever life happens, give it to him, and trust that he is in control and that he will have it, and then his timing is better than mine. Thank you. You're dismissed for the next few moments. We'll start back up in about 10 minutes with pre-service prayer.